0: You're listening to Find the Outside the podcast. I'm Tuesday Ryan Hart.
1: And I'm Tim Merry.
0: This week on the podcast, we have two outsiders with us. Welcome, Woo-hoo. Summer and Brona. Hey. Hi. Really glad to have you here with us. Um, and so, just to, uh, I'll let you introduce yourselves in just a moment, but just to say, our podcast today. Continues to be about um, this pandemic that is uh, here at our doorstep and in our world right now. And we wanted to talk with uh, some other folks on our team. Tim and I put some of our thoughts out there. And it's become really clear that uh, not all of us are affected in the same way, right? We're seeing more and more news every day about how people are disproportionately affected. And we thought it might be great to hear from the two of you who are in very different parts of the world than Tim and I about what's happening there, what you're noticing. And we can actually ground this conversation of it's happening to all of us, but it's not the same for all of us in our own lived experience. So uh, Tim, do you want to say anything before I have Brona and Summer introduce themselves? Uh,
1: Nothing other than I think, you know, this, I feel like this podcast is juxtaposed to a lot of the stuff that turns up on my social media themes which is like now we're discovering the great equalizer we're all in this together finally there's a shared human experience you know and um we're not all experiencing this the same right you know and uh, so i think it's a uh, somewhat in response to that at least for me or at least into what i get to some of the stuff i'm being exposed to in my social media and it's just lovely to have broner and summer here you know yeah and to connect from different parts of the world
2: so maybe sure. whichever
1: one of you would like to go first to introduce yourselves and uh, maybe say who you are and how you're connected into the outside, and uh, and then a little bit of y- your experience in uh, the place where you live.
2: Hi, everyone. I am Summer Sibley Brown, um, and I'm an outsider. i happy to be an outsider. Um, I live in the St. Croix, U.S. Virgin Islands, born and raised, and I primarily, in my day job when I'm not an outsider run a food systems organization that focused on food systems changed. Um, I live in a predominantly black and brown community and I have the awesome um, opportunity to work and learn with um, the outside and its multiplicity of outsiders, um, Mm -hmm. learning a lot more about equity um, complexity science and really how we attack large scale systems change. So I can bring some of that work, um, and that lens here to the Virgin Islands where I live.
0: So good to have you, Summer. Uh, so
3: hey, I'm Verona. I am based in Glasgow in Scotland, so gonna do my best to slow down so <laughs> that my accent can <laughs> be uh, intelligible to folks. Uh, I've been working with you guys for, I think, over a year now, and uh, really involved in that kind of prototyping how to work with complex systems yeah are you wanting to go into some covid related stuff
1: now yeah why don't you take us there and then summer could come from her perspective Bruno. so what's it like what's it like where you are what are you experiencing how's and what's some of your analysis even that could come mm. with it Would mm. really welcome it
3: thanks tim i guess some of my other work that i'm actively involved in is around economic uh, systems change related to climate breakdown Uh, And so really finding the parallels uh, with the conversations I've been in around that for several years versus where we are now with the pandemic, uh, in which a lot of the stuff that we have been arguing for in order to create a better world for everyone, which was completely off the table three, four months ago, is now suddenly like the politically impossible is becoming the politically inevitable. We're really seeing like conversations about universal basic income coming in. Um, we're seeing these massive amounts of money suddenly being made available when we were told that they weren't, and so that's really fascinating from like a political perspective in terms of like God, just how far we can push this conversation right now with the moment that we're in. Uh, but the flip side of that is, of course, that around us, uh, this really horrible virus is killing people. It is being massively disruptive to people's lives. Uh, everyone I know is negotiating huge amounts of personal stress, health stress, family stress, work stress. Um, it's such an intensely exhausting uh, moment to be in. Um, Yeah, and sitting in Glasgow where we've really seen the first wave really hit the UK and London and it being very, very, very intense Uh, with the numbers slowly creeping up in other parts of the country and just noticing in Glasgow where it continually... The number is recording, uh, being tested positive, continually sitting considerably higher than comparable areas um, mm. and really wondering what that means for the, you know, why that is. No real analysis is coming through yet. But one thing that Glasgow is well known for uh, is being the sick man of Europe. Um, there's that mm. think, called the Glasgow effect where in comparison Whoa. to Liverpool and Manchester, the, the the health of the death rate is significantly higher for, for similar post-industrial cities. So really curious to see whether the existing health inequalities, which have been noted in Glasgow, will be a part of why we're recording such considerably higher. Mm.
0: So, and yeah. Brona, can you say a little bit more? So this feels like it's quite um, analogous with what's happening in the US where we're seeing black folks being hit a lot more COVID deaths. Right. And there are just a few cities that are starting to actually track by race who is being infected and who is dying from COVID. And it's, it's, it's disproportionately black and brown people, black people specifically, and it's because of long-term health disparities. So are you are you saying that that's what's happening in Glasgow, the long-term disparities are just manifesting through COVID at this moment, or can you say more? Yeah, well, I think what I'm saying is we don't quite, I'm noticing that
3: the numbers in Glasgow are significantly higher than I think for comparable cities. Uh, mm. and We don't have the analysis on that yet. But I am wondering, I am wondering if the the pre-existing health inequalities in this city are one of the reasons why folks are experiencing it a lot more. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I think we're just seeing that ill health is often socially determined. Uh, and so communities that which have a large amount of socially determined ill health are going to be the most vulnerable, in inverted commas, that folk are talking about
1: So Brona, just before we go and hear from Summer, I'd love for you to just break down a couple of statements that you're saying there. So one is like, when you say health inequalities, like, can you just make that very, very layman's terms for me? Like, what exactly are you pointing to? Um, And then there was something else you just said at the end there, which was kind of like the social determinants, I think. Or uh, can you just break, I, I feel like those are big words that actually describe very, very real things in people's lives. So can you just break those down a little bit for me
3: Sure. So, I guess one of the ways of thinking about this is how poverty is actually a social determinant. How your lived experience of poverty actually makes you more vulnerable to illness, to heart attacks, to strokes, to cancer. Like the stress of that kind of existence, of being so close to the ground all the time, everything that comes with that makes you more vulnerable to. To those kind of uh, experiences of ill health, um, and so that's really the kind of like poverty is a social determinant,
0: and you would see that analogous in Black communities here, right? Just and and other people of color, other other people of color here. So just to kind of say, like we're talking about the same phenomenon, and so as we t- as we go into this conversation, and we say not all of us are impacted the same, this is a key part of it, right? This idea of class, race. Right. Yeah. Um, different marginalized groups are going to be more vulnerable simply yeah. because of pre-existing conditions. And, you know, the, the folks who are vulnerable to COVID right now have diabetes, have heart disease, have lung exactly. disease. These are oh. disproportionately higher in our folks who are. Yeah, I, I like and how you so put that question, more vulnerable. That's a great that's a great yeah, thing well, to well, put in Well, the question quotes.
3: is because it's it's the phrase yeah. you only you only need to worry if you're vulnerable without asking, like, why are you vulnerable in the first place? Which is systemic and structural.
0: Okay, Summer, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what's happening there in St. Croix and and what what you're noticing and what your experience is?
2: Um, Well, yeah, and I wanted to say thank you, one, for this conversation. And two, Brona, you woke up so much for me um, with your input because the question is, who are the vulnerable populations and how we serve them. And so I live in um, St. Croix, U.S. Virgin Islands, and we're a territory. We're an unincorporated territory. And I think the largest fear for me around this is how invisible we tend to be to our nation. And so as you talk about structural inequalities and we talk about communities that have high level of vulnerabilities, we import 98% of our food. That's one lens. We, and I would like to say my sister territories um, of Guam and the Northern Marianas and American Samoa have predominantly um, huge instances of obesity, chronic chronic weight diseases, hypertension, heart disease. So 60% of my Population is automatically young people, not older people in my age range, people from 20 to 40, young children, because of those incidences of those obesity related and diet related diseases, we are all now vulnerable. But when you couple that with the fact that we just experienced um, two years ago in 2017, two devastating hurricanes back to back, and our hospital. Um, is in recovery where we, you know, we don't have a functioning hospital. We have a modular hospital. We don't have access to respirators um, that are necessary. Those structural inequalities, based on our geography, based on our territorial status, um, also now puts another layer and another lens of equity and service and what justice mm-hmm. means for people, or health justice means for people who for whom the disaster was created way before covid um i got to speak to a disaster anthropologist um a few weeks ago and he was like you know the cataclysmic event is not the disaster the disaster mm. started years ago with the design mm. of a system where we turned healthcare something that is a right of all people into like a lean six sigma business model right Whoa. Um, that doesn't Whoa. S- serve all people. It's a functioning business. And now now that we've been perpetuating that and we run run it like that, and then there's this event um, where a small island that sits in the ocean and has sister territories that sit apart from our nation will need service, um, probably disproportionate to support our structures, And they probably won't be able to do that for us because the rest of America doesn't know that we're Americans. And I just answered that in an email when I asked a organization that was providing emergency assistance to children um, who are suffering from not being in school and need access to meals. And I was told that they are only funding the United States (laughs) at this time. And I was like, well... Thank you for letting me know that. And I would just like to clarify that in 1917, we were purchased um, from Denmark. The United States purchased the Virgin Islands. And in 1920, they did a mass citizenship. And after that mass citizenship, it's about 100 years of U.S. territorial status. And we've died in a couple wars for America. And we do service. So I can accept that you don't have money to provide assistance to us at the pandemic, because you are juggling resources, what I cannot accept is that you're telling me that I'm not American. Mm. Um, and so it's, while we're dealing with like the COVID-19 and, and how funds will be dispersed and my lens on the pandemic, because our geography also gives us some saving grace, right? We have a border <laughs> of water around us. So once our ports are closed, what we're dealing with is what is here. Um, the other issue is, how do we manage what is here in a system that was not made to see me and my community?
0: Summer, I've heard you, you've been so clear here. And I think um, careful in calling the U.S. Virgin Islands a territory, but I've actually heard you refer to it as a colony. And I'm curious, it just I'm just asking you to like go a little deeper into what you understand around the relationship uh, with the U.S. as a territory that, I mean, I just, I think when you use the word colony, I just want you to, because I don't think people know, right? Some people listening might not have known you were a territory until now. What does that look like? What does it mean to be a territory
2: So of the US? what it means to be um, a territory of the U.S., it means that we're owned property. I mean, like, realistically, right? We are run through the Department of Interior, and we do have a governor and some semblance of our own government. But as an unincorporated territory, that means that we cannot yet apply for statehood. So Puerto Rico is a commonwealth and statehood is an option. For unincorporated territories, it means our territory has not been officially incorporated into the American status. It's like still a level of ownership And so we Mm. are in that regard a a colony because Mm -hmm. technically the United States owns us and we are probably four major steps away from being able to ever consider statehood. Mm. Um, We celebrated 100 years of ownership by the US in 2017. Um, And for me, that was just a sidebar. It was flabbergasted because in 1848, we won our freedom. We took our freedom from Denmark. So nobody mm. here was still, we weren't enslaved in 1848. So my question, and we can do a whole another conversation about that is how do you sell a free people? It's when right. two governments decide that even though you have, slavery was abolished um, and people were functioning independent now, you still in your paperwork, in your structural paperwork, considered them not citizens, but inhabitants, which is much like flora and fauna of a place, which allowed you then to take a inhabited space, that's what you're calling us, and sell it, because then you still weren't infringing upon the rights of the free people of the place because they're not citizens. Um, And that's a whole nother conversation. But I do think that if we view subsets of people not as equal, it allows you to ignore their health needs, as Brona was talking. You know what I mean? It allows you mm-hmm. not to build into their infrastructure and con- with with a level of consideration that when we have a pandemic, they are naturally overlooked.
1: So, uh, so I got I got like so many streams of thought happening mm-hmm. simultaneously that it's actually hard to contain them. So, I, but but uh, but here's a couple just to open up the conversation so one is like how much of this is class so i look in like little Mahone bay where i live you know largely white uh population middle class pretty wealthy you know and like uh the isolation has been uh pretty well obeyed it's been well followed because people have a wealth on some level to do it not everybody right you know i mean nova scotia has the highest rate of Child poverty of anywhere in Canada. So it's not like it's this, you know, it's not like some, but the home bay itself, you know, we've had kind of ridiculous circumstances of people walking around town, tourists walking around town, asking why it's so quiet and where they can get some fish and chips last week, (laughs) you know, right. And so there's, so there's just like, there's, there's like really weird things happening. Uh, We've had uh, elder generations refusing to self-isolate you know, um, uh, whereas kind of like middle, uh, kind of my middle-aged and younger generations have all been really strong about isolating at least around here. Uh, so those are the kinds of things we're encountering. So I, f- I actually feel like I'm living somewhat in a class buffered circumstance right now, you know, um, where people are being reasonably well-behaved and, and, you know, and there's actually a fair amount of options, uh, available to people. Um, at, at least in my direct networks. So there's, I have a question about the, the 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 class layering of this, and uh, and I wonder how that's playing out in the UK, Brona. Mm-hmm. And then I wonder how the geographical tensions that Summer is pointing to are playing out in the UK as well. With you know, I mean, your roots are you're living in Scotland, but you're from Northern Ireland, right? But mm-hmm. were raised a Catholic in Northern Ireland do you know what i mean so like how's the like is there is there are you seeing something almost like of a geographical parallel the way someone was talking about it or is it really a lot more of a class question the way that i at least i'm feeling seeing it here in nova scotia i just have a question and choose obviously jump in whenever
3: I, i mean yeah i think for me it is being experienced uh witnessed as having a very direct class relationship i mean one of the thing one of the things that happened i mean it feels early on it was probably last week uh was prince charles uh, received a positive covid diagnosis Uh, and of course rather than staying in one of his palaces in england to self-isolate he came to the scottish highlands (sighs) to self-isolate which have like minimal critical care facilities you know just do not have the resources uh, and he was indicative of a trend where a lot of folk when they realized they were going to get locked down went we're going to go to our second home we're going to go to the countryside uh, we're going to get out of the cities of course the only folk that can do that have wealth and property uh, by and large and so they went to areas which don't have the health infrastructure to really support and numbers now are beginning like the the increase in numbers is now beginning to show that it was spread uh in that sort of way or at least that's an early read of it so there's a clear clear class dimension i think one of the bits of an like just a kind of a really basic framing of it was like the rich went to their private islands and their yachts the middle classes stayed home and worried about their kids and working class folk had to go and stack shelves and drive buses and take people around and they got very very sick. and like that is just a kind of like really basic but pretty accurate reading of how this is impacting people. Thank you.
0: That's such a clear way of kind of showing the stratification and just to kind of like, to keep us all integrated, we can sometimes be that clear when the classes are all white, right? When, right. So like, just to name like class is a huge factor and here at least we can't separate that from race. Like you couldn't, do you know what I mean? Like that, that doesn't, you can't just say what is the class lens? Cause class here is so inextricably tied with mm-hmm. race And often gender that you, yeah, yeah, you can't like, you can't just pull it out. Um, so it's just, it's just kind of worth knowing. I'm sure it's the same here class wise, but who is in each class is so stratified as well that Mm -hmm. you get kind of a double whammy.
1: Can you just break that down choose?
0: So often I just want to say here in the U S and like, that's part of my reaction. Part of in the U S people want to say, oh, it's about class, not race, right? Right. Like that's a, it's a clear way to not talk about race here instead of really talking about we have structurally stratified our economy our economy so that black and brown folks are in the lower class so we can look right we don't have the opportunities we don't have the wealth we don't have the income mobility we don't have the property we don't have all of these things and so but you can look at it and keep some of the the clear racism out when you only talk about it through a class lens right And when there's a clear racial component because of how we have over generations been structurally made to be in the lower classes. So not, I mean, I'm so just to be really clear, I'm not disagreeing with. I think Brona's class analysis was really brilliant and really clear. And I'm saying at least here, there's a real overlay with race. And I'm assuming in your cities there is too, Brona.
3: Yeah, a hundred. Like I just want yeah, a hundred percent Tuesday. And that's been one of the really interesting things here is just there been a lot of anti-immigrant rhetoric here, mm-hmm. and now you were kind of seeing the folks here cleaning the hospitals, the bus drivers, But you know, actually, right. you know, that's like that, so that it is coming through really, really strongly, clearly here. So
0: I think that's really helpful for our European listeners to hear. This actually isn't just about class. That's not, I mean, it, it is about class, but it's also about race. It's about immigration status. Like, yeah. I actually think, like, here in the US, like, we're starting to talk about cities actually capturing racial data, but... Still only three or four cities here out of three hundred and thirty million people. Right. And so it's just I feel like for us part of like we can we can raise that
2: as well. So it's very interesting because then when we begin to talk about class and race and how it divides, when you live in a predominantly black and brown community that is self-governed, all your leaders look like you, right? Well, at least we have the appearance of self-governance. When we start to do those overlays, I always have this question of how does that play out, right? Because it's structural, so it's not it's not the clear divide of this even though it is class and race right that it's happening to this group of people in this way and this group of people in this way and it seems like this group of people is perpetuating it here you actually have the opportunity to see the structural lens because the people are perpetuating the inequity and unable to answer the health justice questions and actually who have not applied the lens at all mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. me i'm in leadership Mm-hmm. I'm not having that equitable health distribution conversation, which then in this tension begins to feel like personal, right? So we have a lot of, well, that person didn't like me because it can't be racism because they look just like me. The owner of the bank, the governor, the, the legislator, they're, they're not experiencing a different type of, um, they don't come from a different background, even though they may live in a different class right? We still don't divide it like that because the pool is very much us. There's Mm. also a part of this that does have a clear line um, with people who have chosen to make the Virgin Islands their home who are not from here um, and do have the economics. um, And so there is that like race and class divide there, but sometimes it feels like their world is quite separate. Right? They don't have health care here in the Virgin Islands. They fly in a plane. We are their second home. So where they are being counted, where they vote, where the bulk of their money is stored, while we are their we are America's paradise, and this is their intersection in paradise. They don't really interact and intersect with us in the same way. So like there's a clear wall of the people who this is paradise to, and there's a clear wall who were born in paradise who we haven't even began to have this level of discussion because of exposure, which is one of the reasons the outside has such become such an important part of my life. So that I can begin to have these conversations and build communities that can talk about complexity and equity and the overlay of class and race and kind of think about what that means for, for communities that are predominantly homogeneous, right? So I'm talking about black and brown, but it could be sovereign Indian nations. It could be, you know, it could be Chinese communities. What happens to class, race, and structural inequity when the purveyors of it are us? Because this mm. is the system I was educated in.
1: Mm. I love it. So good. So my friends, I think it's like, it's like we're beginning a conversation and we're inviting everybody who's listening into it. There's no, as always with the outside, there's no simple answers. There's no clear, you, you know what I mean? But, like, but my goodness, by seeing it and hearing these perspectives from the different parts of the world, we get to understand this at a completely different level and way than we would if I was just living in sweet little Mahone Bay. You know, and so I think there's I just an uh, enormous value in this conversation and knowing that we're just beginner and we're inviting everybody else who's in their communities and in the world to reach out to others who are different to them, to understand how this is not the same for everybody. Before we ask for songs well, also, and poems Tuesday.
0: I know I'm bursting. You can know, tell. Yeah. Tim's looking at me just like, I love it. <laughs> I'm like, ah, I, I can't, I have to say something. <laughs> I, I just, uh, yes, 100%. This is like the, this is the beginning of the conversation just know that we'll be having these conversations together as outsiders but uh, but the thing I like wanted to say is like oh my gosh you both are so brilliant this is why I leave our team meetings amazing so happy about the people I work with Brona like just the clarity you brought and summer like the new perspective like a perspective that I don't think many people are holding I just I feel blown away by the two of you and so happy you joined us today. So just wanted to say that really publicly, a little like, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank for you.
1: being here. Mm. Yeah. Thank you, for the thank you for leaping into the outside with us. Yeah. I was pushed.
0: Exactly. You pushed and I pulled. Brona did not exactly. have a choice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Brona yeah. yeah. was just coming along. Exactly. Right. So we wanted to invite uh, Broner a song from you and then Summer a poem from you. So Brona, and we do this with every podcast. So and they end up on the podcast playlist people on Spotify. So Brona, what song are you bringing into the town today? What you got?
3: i okay, I'm going to like a little bit take the mic here, actually, because one of the things about not being all in it together is recognizing that some of the analysis we're being given is that it's uh, our fault for not being physically distanced. Folk are going to work mm. um, not analyzing the fact that structures are making them go to work, that they need to go to a job, that they need to make money to feed their families. So I, on that basis, would like to invite us all to recognize that this is a moment to take the power back. I reach against the machine. Uh,
1: <gasps> yes!
0: Yeah. Oh so good. There we go. I think that's amazing. <laughs> What a good pandemic
1: song. I love it. Cool. And uh, Summer. Yes. Do you have a poem?
2: Yes, I do have a poem. Um, It's written by me a very long time ago. I chose not one of my angry ones. So here we go. Um, It's untitled. Does a black heart bleed black blood? Does a black man make black love? Does being black now signify everything that I am or will ever be? Am I black or is being black me? Does being black mean seeing black, black vision, the black decision, manifesting my black destiny, black days, black ways, black magic, black majesty, brought on black ships, beaten with black whips, stole freedom in the black night, fought the black fight, that one day black might escape the black cocoon and break fly in the black lagoon so that I can celebrate myself as a way of life. And not just someone's holiday.
0: What? Summer.
1: That is amazing.
0: Uh, that is amazing. Uh, huh. Wow. Yeah, I write poetry. Okay.
1: Yes, you do. Apparently so. I write bombs. Yes, you do. Wow. Love it.
0: All right.
1: All right, my friends. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today.
2: Oh my god, it was a joy. Thank you so much for
1: asking.
0: So glad you're here. That's it for this episode of Find the Outside, the podcast.
1: Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you find podcasts.
0: New episodes of the podcast are available every second Tuesday because that's the best day of the week. If you'd like to get in touch with us about something you heard on the show, you can reach us at podcast at findtheoutside.com.
1: All the resources, poems, books, songs, anything we mention are available on the show notes. And don't forget to check out the Spotify playlist uh, online on Spotify. All the information is found at findtheoutside.com backslash podcast. This episode was
0: edited and produced by Mark Coffin at Soundgood Studio.
1: The music for the Find the Outside podcast is by Gary Blakemore.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much.